Hello and welcome to Kneeling Not Standing, the first podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by my first guest on this podcast, Mr. Richard Coyley. Richie, thanks for coming in and thanks for being the first guest. No worries, thanks for having me. It's an honour to be the first guest. No doubt it's going to go from strength to strength, but uh, and congratulations to you, you're, you're, you're flying it. Thanks very much. Well, obviously, four years of, of graft, and now I've kind of managed to, to, to branch it out a little <coughs> bit. But when I actually first started Irish Football Fan TV, you were one of the first, probably the <coughs> first name out there that um, I had actually went out and interviewed. It wasn't really yet to do a football, but it was just the fact that you'd played for the same football club as I did. And then obviously, Brian Farley, shout out Brian Farley, um, put us in contact and stuff like that. Yep. We've, we've kept in contact since I ended up becoming a a fan of yours and, and following your career then kind of after that and when I was looking around it was I had a short list of people and I just said you know what he'd be great I, I always thought the build ups to your fights were very funny very good and, and I always thought you were a very good talker like you were on a lot of radio shows and stuff like that I'm sure we'll come to it but um, how have you been it's, it's been a while because of Covid and stuff like that so I actually haven't seen you in, since the MVP fight so we'll obviously go in and around yep. your, your career after that but just how have you been in and around that time of COVID yeah I've been good COVID has actually I've been one of the, the lucky few that COVID has been has been good to I got a you know I got a new house you know which was which was great which is uh, I'm one of the very lucky few that was that was able to get onto the property, property market I'm very really grateful for that um, a lot of that was you know came off the back of the MVP fight um, so I've been good, like like very listen, like everyone. It's you know it's been frustrating, it's been difficult. It's you know it's had its ups and downs. For for the most part, I actually can't complain. You know I've done a lot of uh, I suppose a lot of development work on myself. You know very new age, but um, it is what it is. You know I, I feel like I've, uh, I'm after progressing as a person for the want of a, a better word. But like everyone, you know there's been ups and downs. I've been lucky enough. I I haven't been touched by COVID. Um, I had it, but it, you know I had it very mild, mildly. Mm. Um, so I haven't been touched by COVID in terms of like my family and my friends have all been healthy so you know I've been I've been quite lucky you know I have because I know there's a lot of other people that haven't been as lucky so I'm very aware of how uh, you know how fortunate I am. Well, I totally uh, relate <clears throat> to what you're saying in regards to growing as a person like I feel like I'm a totally different person than I was before the lockdown you know even with drinking and diet and stuff like that it's totally the same. different. Exactly the same for me you know like uh you know the the drinking the drinking aspect. You know I didn't even realize how much I was drinking. Yeah. Um, prior to COVID, you know, and it was only you know, when they had that circuit breaker, I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, and like everyone, everyone was doing their walks and then yeah, out swimming, you know, and that that was a huge uh, that was a huge benefit for me, you know. So it was outside my five k, but like here we make some allowances. <laughs> um, I think everybody broke that so. They did. Well, I know a lot of people adhere to it, you know, but I think people had to do what they had to do in terms of once they were being responsible. I, I, you know, does, does, I won't judge anyone for doing what they had to do for their for their mental health. You know, it's essentially you're, you're imprisoned within a, a 2.5k radius at, so, at one stage, you know, and a lot of people were able to handle that. Other people had to do what they had to do just for their, for their mental health. Like, and I think once people were being responsible um, with their health and others, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, judge them for that. Yeah, no, and I think that's I think that's fair. But like, there is so, only so much you can do within that <laughs> that radius, as you say. That you end up just going off the wagon a little bit. And I, I found yeah. myself going out 
well outside the 5k but just yeah. as you say being responsible I wasn't near anybody but it was just to get yourself out because I, I'm one of those people I can't stay in the same place yeah, yeah. for too long I need to see something different I need some new scenery I'm sure you're probably the same and people are like that or else they just end up going off the wall But yeah well there's, there was a lot of people I know a lot of people that stayed within their, their 5k and a lot of people there was a lot of people that were mentally impacted by the fact that they had to be they were for want of a better word like I know not to dramatise it but imprisoned yeah, within a two point five k radius, and I know everything that was their 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 uh, and not to politicise it, but like they felt like their freedoms were being um, uh, were were being taken from them, you know. And I'm not here to say whether that was the case or that wasn't the case. Mm. I think um, it was no pressing the scenario. And look, it is what it is. But like I, I suppose to relate it back to the individual, the people, like people who are impacted by it, you know, like I said, people do have to do what they have to do for their own. Uh, for their own well-being, you know, and like I said, I was lucky enough that I wasn't impacted. It was, you know, it had mostly benefits for me. Yeah, well, look, uh, at this stage, we're over the worst for hope it never comes back in terms of the lockdown. Yeah. And <coughs> from December to March last year, it was horrific. But anyway, look, we're over the worst of it. We're yeah. going to bring you back to right where it started for you, your, your upbringing. Where, where do you actually come from? I know you're from Talibo. Like, yeah, I'm from Toymaville, like? um, beside Cuckoo's Nest, uh, for anyone that, that would be familiar with that, with that neck of the woods. That's where I'm from originally. That's where I, I, uh, I grew up. Um, um, and then up until I was a teen, when I was a teen, then I was of a, a transient nature, we shall say. I, uh, <laughs> I moved around. Um, but my family home was kind of stayed in Toymaville. My mom is still there. So... Uh, Yes, that's 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 where I uh, that's where I grew up. Um, Tell us about your childhood. And, you know where uh, you went to school. What were you like in school? I imagine you were a messer. I wasn't a messer. I was actually really good in school. Up oh, until yeah? <clears throat> yeah, I was in, I was good in school, and for the most part in primary school, I was uh, I was academic enough. Um, you know, I always did well in exams, and actually got a scholarship when I was younger. Um, you know, and then <laughs> I suppose in sixth class um, I had behavioural issues at times mm. um, you know in sixth class I probably would have uh, for the most part it was good and then um, I had behavioural issues then towards sixth class they kind of reared their head reared their head and then between first and first and second year I was relatively good um, with a little thing but I suppose from third year onwards I suppose I uh, um, my behaviour would have wouldn't have been the parents were getting called yeah 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 they were they were um but yeah well, i was at an age then at the stage i didn't really mind didn't care like i was I, there was nobody telling me what to do you know which isn't good um well, just, at that stage, were you, were you learning fighting or were you i was doing martial arts since i was nine i started well no something you like seven i started when i was seven Um i went into a craddy club and I thought it was deadly. I had the white suit on, and um, I thought it was deadly. And then they were doing like these ten punches, and at the end of it, ten, the ten punches they let out what's called a kiai, where they all roar. But it was only seven. I thought they were all roaring at me. So that experience, I just legged out of out of out of the gym. I was there, they're all running the show at me, and I was, I was gone. <laughs> um, but uh, and that was my. I was there here, never going back. But then was it? I was very lucky. In Talat, does a does a. a there's an elite contingent of martial arts coaches, um, probably the most, you know, we're just, we're blessed in talent in terms of the, the coaches that we have. They're literally world class and they've turned out world champions and multiple time, uh, multiple time champions. 
And just up the road for me was a guy called Chris Dennison, who kind of, uh, who most of these coaches had learned of. So I went up there when I was nine, just recreationally. One of the, I think one of the guys, my next door neighbour, was going up. I said, I'll just tag along. And I think my parents were just happy to, um, yeah, you go there and give us two hours apiece. And that's where it started. I really loved that club and I loved the martial arts. Um, you know, it was what I thought martial arts was in my head. I did all these fancy kicks, spinning kicks, jumper turning kicks. I know about them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was, you know, and <clears throat> the style and then the style I learned there with going to have the loose hands down, chin up, you know, mm, that is the way you fight. That's the way I fight. Yeah. Um, that's, how, that's what I learned there. And I've carried that right through throughout my martial arts career. And it's going to be unique, um, in MMA. It's very, you know, there's only a, a handful of people that do it. Mm, I think it's Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Wonderboy MVP would be another and myself, but apart from that, there's very few that would have that, that kind of loose, um, flamboyant, arrogant, if you want to, uh, for the people who wouldn't be familiar with the style, but it comes across as arrogant and, you know, but there's a purpose behind that. But that's where I learned. I learned that when I was, you know, I started off there, I was knowing I carried that right through my, um, right through my career, my professional career, my kickboxing career, open to, um, you know, the, 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 ironically enough, the one fight I didn't do it in was in the MVP fight. And we'll get to that, I suppose, the injury I had to, and I just felt so awkward. Yeah. Um, this is totally against what, you, what you're used it to. It was yeah. against the ethos. Of, I suppose yeah. it was against the the grain of what of, uh, of what of what I'd learned, you know. But um, yeah. So like, I was very lucky in terms of the martial artists that I had around me. Like I said, it was Chris Dennison, and then I, when I went into the full contact kickboxing, I was with Norman Kelly, and that's where I won a lot of my titles, my full contact titles, and you know, and then it was. There's, lot, there's other martial artists there as well, Martin Bannon, Dave Heffernan, um, Liam Dale, that I all learned off, you know, and the level of experience and knowledge that they have is fantastic. And yeah. very, so I was very lucky to learn off these people, you know. And did you, so you, you spoke there about obviously going to the third year <coughs> and you kind of were a bit wild. Was that because of what you, you know, I know in martial arts you're taught discipline and stuff like that, but were you thinking I'd, just, I'd, I'd batter everyone or even me? No, dad, no, no, me, it was never a bully. tells you what to do. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it was never a bully. No, I, I suppose so when, like when, so there was, a, I suppose I'd come from a relatively dysfunctional background, like, like a lot of people do, came from a relatively dysfunctional background and I, up until around that age then I started acting those dysfunctions that I picked up. Hmm. Well, most te teenagers do, to be fair. So, yeah, and like I make no apologies for the uh, you know that was it was a product of my my environment at the time. You, when you know better, you do better. I didn't yeah. know better at the time, and um, so but I was never a bully. Like I was never a bad guy. Um, I was reactive, and I never, um, I, I, I never, I never ever bullied anyone. That um, um, to my knowledge, to my knowledge, and if I did, it was it was it was unintentional. But it, um. But I'd be very confident that I never, I never bullied anyone. But if I've ever felt that I was someone was trying to bully me, that's when I would act out, and, um, you know. And I didn't like the same thing. I, I I kind of railed against authority figures at the time, so that would have been like in schooling. And um, I just felt like nobody's going to tell me what to do yeah. anymore. And I didn't mean that in a in a in a kind of you know a disruptive way. It was just I didn't want. To be told what to do or what have you, you know. Now that's unfortunately life's not like that. But uh, you kind of learn the hard way. But um, at that time, that's where I was at, and 
So I didn't, you know, I left school. Well, I left school, I did about 26 days in two years. My principal at the time was very good for me. She allowed me to do my leaving cert, didn't throw me out. And she would have been full justified at the time too, such was my, uh, the level of, uh, you know, it's, well, it is what it was. It was disruption, you know. It wasn't intended disruption, but it was yeah. disruptive. I just wasn't being told what to do, and I was angry, and I was shooting from the hip, and that was what it was. And, um, but I, I was lucky enough that I was able to do my leaving cert, and I got the leaving cert. Um, how I did, I don't know, based hmm. on the, the amount of time I did, but that's what it was. You know. well, what school was was that you went to? It was close to the heat. It was a Gale school. It's a Gale school. It's actually up the road. It's only not too far away from here. <clears throat> so, um, um, you know, it was, it was a... It was, it was a new enough skill. It was, it was a good skill. Um, so I had no, no issues with the skill. The issue was, was with me, you know. Um, but like that's, that's life, you know. That's yeah. you know. Did you, you, did you go to college off the back of that, or is it just? No, I didn't. I wasn't. Or? No, I went straight into work. Yeah, um, a lot of people do, like I did as well. For a while. Yeah. Um, I, no, I, I felt I was done with education at that time. Now. At, at that time now, subsequently I'm, I'm going back um, but at that time I was done with education like I said I was I was rallying against authority figures I wanted to make money I wanted my independence I wanted to be able to you know buy what I wanted I wanted to be able to do what I wanted yeah. and without anyone telling me what to do and, but those trans those problems that I had in school transferred into a work environment you know whereas even more so you have people going you know you're dealing with with individual personalities people that come from their own backgrounds and you know and Managers and, I, I, and so on. Yeah. yeah, and I had little to no life experience within that environment. Um, so I didn't, um, I was rough, I was uncouth. So uh, so I didn't understand. I didn't understand. And people telling me what to do, I said, you don't tell me what to do. And they were there, they think you'll find it too. We pay you to do a job. And if you don't do it, there's the there's the door. And don't let the door hit you in the arse on the way out. And I was there, okay. And I'd walk out and I was there, sure, sure, with them. But... I was doing was walking out without, without, you know, leaving the job and they were trying to replace within, um, within minutes. So there was, there was quite a few of those, um, those learnings, I suppose, when, when I was younger. Experiences. Experiences yeah. when I was younger that, you know, these are, these are, it's tough, you can't, this is not how life works. And, um, but it was good experiences for me, you know, they were good um, life experiences to learn. Yeah. When you were growing up, was, was it always... Martial arts, your interest? Because I know you played football for a bit. Did you have any other interests? Yeah, I loved. I liked sports. I liked sports. I liked anything that you know. Um, like I was, I, I wasn't particularly skilled, but I was a good athlete. So I played GAA. For, in, I played GAA for the skill. Played at a good level. I got Dublin trials for the skill. And how I don't know, but I think it was just I was a good athlete as opposed to any particular skill level. Like it was anyone's guess if I kicked the ball where it was going to go. Like so. Uh, but, uh, and then, like I said, I, I played football. Um, I played football at a decent level again. I was a good athlete. I was fast and I was strong in the air. Um, it was a small pitch. Now I was in trouble because my touch wouldn't have been great. But uh, so I, I liked all sports. But martial arts, I suppose, is where my um, is where my real love was. You yeah. know, I loved the. Uh, I loved the competitive element of it. I loved challenging myself. There was also, at, at times, it was a dysfunctional, like an unhealthy obsession with martial arts, you know, because you think it's almost like the measure of a person, like your, your self-worth is caught up with whether you win or lose. If you're a good fighter, you're a good person. If you're a bad fighter, if you lose a fight, you're a bad person, you know. Um, and that carried with me right through my career that I needed to, uh, you know, have a separation there, that a loss is a loss and a win is a win. Um, and there's an equilibrium that you need to maintain. 
throughout that, you know, yeah. but your self-worth doesn't raise or lower based on or predicating how you're progressing or how you're, how you're doing with, with throughout your career, you know? And that was, that was, a, that took a long time to, a long time to, to realize, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but martial arts would have been my main, uh, my main obsession. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I loved. That's what I loved doing. <clears throat> I loved the different, you know, the challenges being able to do the splits or kick a particular height or, you know, having a le the leg dexterity that you see in all the movies, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies yeah. at the time, you know, <clears throat> and <clears throat> that was what I wanted to do. And that's, you know, it's, you know, I ended up doing it professionally, which was living the dream at a, at a high level. Yeah. But see, see, obviously the scene wasn't that big till probably Conor McGregor came along and, <clears throat> and really yeah. took it off to a whole different extreme. But for you, like, were you looking at it as a way of, of maybe making a career or having a, co a couple of marquee fights? <clears throat> How did that all come into play? Where you started? No, there was no, um, there was no, um, there was no avenue at the time for uh, to do that. My dad was a was a um, was an avid martial artist. He was a, a, a full contact karate champion. It was just bare knuckle at the time, um, so you know I would have learned or would have been passed on that this is this is the way. You know, <clears throat> like all all kids, you look up to your dad, and you know that's what I wanted to be. But there was no aspirations, or there was no um, there was no avenues to do it professionally. You know, um. Apart from boxing, but I, I found at that, even at that stage, I found boxing to be a limited skill set, a very, very good skill set to have. Um, and there's lots of boxers that you know their their hands are. You know, mo most boxers, their hands are are significantly better than martial artists, um, or they were at the time. Um, not so much now, I would, I would say. But uh, there was no career path apart from boxing. But I always found boxing to be a limited skill set, even at that time. Yeah, so that's why I, uh, you know, I, f I felt like kicks were more powerful. Kicks were gave you, you know, you were able to kick from the leg all the way to the head, you know. And if you, if I could, you could also use it was a longer distance, and I could cover longer distances, and I could jump kick, spin kick, all this type of stuff, you know, and it would generate massive amounts of power that boxers wouldn't have been able to do, or they wouldn't have known how to defend. Um. And that's not to denigrate boxing, because mm. I've, I've been in with well, Conor McGregor has been mentioned <clears throat> it before, obviously with, with the Floyd fight, and he was talking about the different, you know, in in boxing you you are literally only looking out for the fists, whereas with MMA it, it is so much more that you. Have yeah, to be and that's not to denigrate boxing. Like I'm in, yeah, in yeah. the rings with in the ring with some very very skilled boxers that have good manners on me. You know that oh, you yeah. know you're there like that's right. There's learning. There's learning to be had there. You know, and um, you know uh, you fight a good boxer, you know all about it. You know what the you have to be on your top of your game but the the reality is it is a limited skill set excuse me it is a limited skill set you have to um like if you go in with just boxing into an mma fight you know you're bringing a knife to a gunfight and that's the reality of it is you know you fight someone and that's because i and i know that because even i came in with a kickboxing background into mma initially and i thought i was just going to walk it and i found out very very quickly that i was going in with a limited skill set despite having the kicks and um you know, it, to some degree, some trolls and locks and stuff like that. I was going in against jujitsu jiu and wrestling practitioners, you know, and that, that was kind of carried through my fight. Anytime I wanted to fight, you know, anytime when I was in the team, people just wanted to wrestle me because they 
they knew my striking pedigree. So went to close the distance. And it makes for an uncomfortable and unpleasant night, you know, if you're fighting a good wrestler who won't let you get that space that you need yeah. to utilize the, the weapons that you're comfortable using. Um, so I had to adapt. I had to adapt. And that was... Um, so the, if the thing is, if you're going into a, an MMA fight with a limited skill set, you know, you will eventually be found out. That's, that's the reality. Yeah, so how, how did you find it? Because, you know, you, you got in with, with Dave Roach. Um, and he, like, again, we talk about people who kind of, the MMA world here, himself, John Calvin and so yeah, on, were the like originals, weren't they? Yeah, if I'm blessed. Like, Dave Roach in particular, like, we all know John. John is, you know, um, John's uh, needs no introduction. His reputation, uh, you know, his reputation is well known in the MMA circles. Dave Roach, not so much. And Dave Roach is an elite coach. He was an elite martial artist, you yeah. know, which people don't see, but he was a, an elite fighter um, and a great person, a really, really decent person. That, yeah. A really, really decent person, which, you know, struck me because if you were to meet Dave Roach and you were to talk to him, he's soft-spoken, he's kind, he's empathetic, yeah. a decent, decent guy. He into the cage with him and you're there like, oh, this person like and that's the that's the thing that strikes me with with Dave so much is that the average person on the street would pass this or would talk to him and go that's a really really decent guy now the average asshole on the street would go to Dave that's a soft touch and they would be so so sorely mistaken you know like I, I firmly believe that Dave could fight at USC level now uh, still at this age and I won't reveal his age um, sure so, such is his skill level such is his skill level you know it's not attribute driven it's all technique technique, mm. technique. he was only fighting Paddy Hewlett <clears throat> there recently enough wasn't he that was in, yeah. in a charity thing that was in a, a jiu jitsu competition and Paddy was only recently out of the um, only recently out of UFC and Dave was fat and out of shape and trained for it. Um, and it was that the two of them had a fantastic uh, jiu-jitsu match. And a fantastic jiu-jitsu match that ended in a draw. And I think it was Paddy won it on a technicality. It was fast as escape or something like that. You know, but it was a fantastic testament to both their skill sets. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was great to watch. Great to watch two, uh, two elite exponents of jiu-jitsu going at it, you know. Yeah. How did they, you end up you know getting in and working with him and then <coughs> had the first Keith McCabe the, the first fight come about it's funny um, so I had so I, I'd I'd fought in kickboxing for a long period of time and I'd won I'd won a significant amount of titles and prestigious titles within kickboxing um, and I was I reached a stage where I was there like I've done what I wanted to do in kickboxing and I was like, kind of like at a crossroads I was there like what, what do I do now like what's I've achieved what I wanted to achieve and um, and then of course there was this new wave of MMA coming with, with Connor on the crest of it um, and I remember going to the, the show in um, in the Point Depot the, you know that would kind of really kicked it off and the atmosphere was fantastic And I would, but I was looking at the, the martial arts and I said oh you can do that and I believe I can do it better um, and so I went down to <clears throat> I went down to um, to John Cavanagh on the the watch call it on uh, it was down on on the nice road. I went down to the gym and 
one of my first bars was with Artem Lobov, and I did quite well. And Artem's a great guy, really tough, um, you know, and it was a it was a good spar. And John Kavanagh um, stopped. He was walking past, and he was there like, um, you know, what's your background? I told him, and he, he was there like, would you spar Gunnar Nelson? Um, another UFC, another right. UFC, very very good. And and now I was fat, now in shape at this at this at this time. And I was there, yeah. And he goes, will you be down tomorrow? And I said, yeah. And he goes, great. So I sparred Gunnar Nelson in the whole gym stopped the gym was packed and they all stopped to watch this spar and uh you know it was a great a great spar and um i did quite well there as well and um then the next spar i had was with was with connor and that went quite well as well and then i kind of drifted out but I, that, and it was all kickboxing so it was in what my you what sorry what year was this just, just oh. when it started, because it was Connor on the rise at this stage. He's on the rise, yeah. yeah he's on okay. the rise. So yeah. You would have been fighting with one of the best elite fighters in the world then at that point. Yeah, you will. Yeah, well, he, he was, yeah. yeah. And Gunnar Nelson and and, and Art Gunnar Nelson. I'm not taking the, anything Gunnar, about. Yeah, no, they're all they're all at the, they're all at the at the peak. <clears throat> they're yeah. you know are on the crest of that wave, just about to break in to um, to you know Connor obviously was just about to go. his stratospheric um, fame and. Um, acclaim for his, his exploits, you know. Artem has had a very, very uh, good career as well and, and Gunnar also. So you know, it was great to be straight in to deep end with with with, with, with those guys. Mm, no, that's what I was thinking, they give you the confidence, yeah. Well I don't I hadn't got anything wrong with my confidence in regards to my ability. I knew that I was and I don't say that arrogantly, I just knew that I had a level of ability because I'd fought elite fighters at world level in kickboxing and stand up pure stand up martial arts and you know I had won and so I, I had no um, issues around confidence regarding my ability and that where the confidence was misplaced then was when I went into the MMA cage and then you brought into the, the grappling skill sets in because I just assumed that you know this will literally this will translate in I found myself very very quickly losing and being tied up and submitting submitted by people who wouldn't have struck me as athletes like these were people who were accountants and teachers not, not what have you but the, i don't what i mean i don't mean anything wrong with those professions but what i mean is that they weren't professional athletes like i yeah, would help myself to be or, or elite athletes that i go to help myself to be at that stage but they were taking me down and submitting me within two minutes and i was there like this is not how it's supposed to be <laughs> and that, they, they just it was a boot in the ego it was a kick in the ego but it was also a reality check it was there like you know, like if this was a fight, irrespective of the fact that I was, you know, multiple time Irish champion, world champion, European medalist at kickboxing, if they had to just grab me like that, fights on the ground, and I would have lost mm. the fight. And if it was to the death, I would be, I would be, de I would be dead. And I was there, like that's not how it's supposed to, how it's supposed to happen. And these were our shaped guys, and they weren't. Yeah, yeah, they weren't in. Um, we're in a good shape or anything. That's that was just mind blowing to me. Um, so I kind of drifted in, drifted out. Um, I was, you know, the ego. Uh, the ego is a funny thing over there. Like, oh, do I want to be a, you know, start again? No, I was in my thirties at this stage. Um, do I want to start again and have to start from the bottom, work my way up, and that kind of? I drifted out and what have you. And I remember I left for a period of time. Um. And I remember SPG Tala was opening up at the time, and I walked in and to see the facility, fantastic facility in SPG Tala. And Dave Roach was there, 
Mm. It's a great facility. I was in it. Yeah, it's, it down it's, it's fantastic. A world-class facility. Um, but Dave Roach was there and there was a... He, Dave had an injury at the time. He injured knees and he was doing a... Um, I was drifting in just now and Dave Roach was doing a, a class with a heavyweight he was that was coming up to a fight and uh, he was there like oh, I'd, I'd love to be able to have someone to move around with you and he was looking around and I knew the guy that he was fighting I was there like I'll move around with him just volunteered to move around with him just to, and he goes alright grand and he goes look he'll go easy and I was there like, okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, I did very well against the heavyweight anyway and Dave Roach ran out after me and he was there like I think you could do this professionally and I was there look here full disclosure I was down in uh, I was down in John's gym for a while and you know I said I've no grappling or I've nothing like that and he goes bro I'll teach you <laughs> and I was there okay and he was so enthusiastic yeah. and he was so encouraging and I was there well there might be something here. I'll, I'll see what happens so at this stage Bama was coming over which was the biggest European uh, the biggest European uh organization at the time and uh this was about eight weeks out from bama and they were advertising all over the place and there was a big buzz around it and all the biggest uh <clears throat> all the biggest uh uh irish uh competitors that weren't in the ufc were going to be on or yeah. on it you know so it was a really big deal at the time it was in the tree arena um and like i said it was off the back of, of this wave of um, enthusiasm and attention that MMA was getting so everyone was really into it and what have you and Dave actually I remember Dave was there like you know you could be on Bama and I just was there why don't you ring John and, and ask him and Dave looked at me and he was there but you know what I might so I thought nothing more of it and then the more we trained he was, he, Dave you know was there like oh, I think that you'll really do really really well here and he go, I said, look, I don't think John Kavanagh will put me on after, you know, that I drifted out and what have you. And, which was, and he, rightly so, rightly so, because it was inconsistent. And, um, you know, it kind of dropped in and dropped off the face of the earth, which isn't a good impression for <laughs> for any elite coach. It's like imagine going to Man United and, you know, turning up, doing really well and then just going off. Mm, and, I'm sure it's happened. Yeah. Like, what, what's, the, yeah. what's the crack? Um and Dave was there, look, I'm really good friends with John. I called him a favour and gave me the wink. Again, I thought nothing of it. And uh, so Dave put in a phone call to John and John was there, exactly what I said, look, he's, look, he's been inconsistent. I'm not sure if what's the cracker, you know, he's, he's ready for this. You know, he's no grappling or anything. And John was, and Dave was there, I'll train him. And then as soon as I think John heard that, he was there. Okay, okay, I'll give him a chance, but... He, he, he goes if he commits and that's what John said to me John texted me and he said look commit with and he goes you have a genius there with Dave Roach that's what John Kavanagh said so I was training down with John Kavanagh as, as well so I trained down there in the in the, the mornings I take the, I was working in an insurance company at the time I was an operations manager in an insurance company at the time and uh, I was leaving at lunch going down there training and going back to lunch sweaty smelly bruises and people because insurance company being very conservative were like what is up with this fella yeah. coming in with shiners after lunch they must have thought it was going down to the spar for a chicken roll and a, 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 dig, a digging match <laughs> um, so that's what happened the day got me the, the, the fight um, on Bama so my first professional fight was on Bama it was on um, 
in the three arena and you know that's where that's where it started and it was you know we went in against Keith McCabe who was a very tough competitor he had fought some of the guys he'd fought Kiefer Crosby who was a you know a very highly regarded fighter and he'd had some really good wins he was I think he was a brown belt in jiu-jitsu at the time I know jiu-jitsu so we mm -hmm. had we had six six or seven weeks to formulate a game plan against this fella. He also professional K one fighter, tough guy, very, very skilled. Um and uh we end up going in and uh nobody I think gave me any chance in that fight. I remember it was lots of elite fighters that were competing on the card asked and I won't name any names. But none of them gave me a chance. And uh, I think I had arguably the best knockout of the night in that that uh on that night and it was so the so knee to the it was a knee but it was the timing of it and it was it was a very nasty now and fair. it was a very unusual knockout i don't think there would be many of those yeah. type of knockouts that were there and um and even the style of fighting because i went in with my hands held down low and um on my debut and hands down low was wearing jabbing and like i looked arrogant and cocky and flamboyant and then that knee happened and it was a very de de decisive and definitive knee and it was so sweet that it was a really, really proud moment walking out in front of the tree arena in front of my family and friends. I had a massive, I received a massive, uh, I, I suppose, uh, welcome from the crowd. It was like a wave of energy and, uh, you know, as I said, arguably one of the, the, the best knockout of the night and I walked back to the thing and a Dave Roach just gave me a massive hug and John Kavanagh just said we go again in February and that was the start of it yeah but that, that must was, that must have been amazing like obviously with, with Dave Roach he's, <coughs> he would have seen other things happening within that time frame like as we, we've mentioned the fighters that you were starting off he would have seen them as well so for someone like him to come over and grab you straight away and and be proud of you that must <coughs> make you feel amazing well like Dave Dave from the start said you can go really really far here really really far here within this and he goes who knows where like now bear in mind i was in my 30s it was like my first my debut fight was i was two weeks off my 34th birthday you know um you know so like i was like all the odds were against all the odds were against me but they wrote script of that fight he goes this is how this fight is going to go and i went exactly and we drilled the first thing keith mccabe did was push me up against the fence tried to grapple me and we had drilled the escape from that and just patience and Dave Roach was at this one. That's that's all he had. He had partner after partner trying to pin me up against the cage, take me down, stand up, what have you. And that's exactly how the fight went. He pinned me up against the cage, tried to take me down, spun out, and uh, knocked him out. Knocked him out. So um, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Fantastic experience. And one of the, you know, all these experiences are experiences that I'll, I know I'm very. Uh, that not many people will have going out in front of the Irish crowd in front of in the three arena. Um, you know, I've co-main evented, I've main evented. Very, very lucky. Yeah, well, what's it like actually coming out when you see the crowd? And I know, look, I've been at some of your fights, <coughs> the later ones, where, um, you know, you were walking out and the crowd got up and half a tallow was there, you know what I mean? The place is mad, yeah, like, because you, you're coming out and, like, and people have a few drinks in them and people have a few points in them and they're, they're they have the Irish love a scrap, you know, to not to uh, perpetuate a stereotype of, you know, it's it is what it is. It is what it is. Like, you know, um, and you know, people a lot of people are living vicariously because they 
you know, the, it's because MMA is a spectacle. You see people get down on the ground and elbowed. Like there's a there is a level of brutality. There's a huge level of skill, but there's also a level of brutality. And you know, let's call it what it is. It's you know, so and people are fascinated by this. Um, so walking out is a surreal, surreal experience. You know, and you know, it can beep some people or it can raise some people. You know, some people rise to the occasion. Some people are, you know, um, go into themselves. And, you know, the people that's the people who go into themselves, I, I don't, um, you know, that's not a, you know, that's not a denigration because it's a, you know, it's such an overwhelming experience. It's very difficult to describe, <clears throat> you know, I could just try and describe it to you, but it wouldn't do it justice. You know, I've, I kind of embraced it and it was there like, I'm never going to probably, at this stage it was my first fight, I said, I'll probably never do this again. I said, just go out and fun. And that was how I kind of went out, went through my MMA career. It was like, this is great crack. I didn't expect any of this. So I'll just embrace it and go to it. Um, so it was, it was mad. It was mad. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And then the, it was like a, you know, a cauldron of, uh, of noise, the, um, you could hear sometimes you could hear individual voices cheering for him, abusing me, you know. Um, it all or, adds or, to it, doesn't <clears throat> it? But like that's just part of it. It's just like that's part. It's like a pantomime, you know. Yeah, you can't yeah. Pair, I don't pair it in personalize. It was there. Like this was great. Yeah, I wouldn't say you should either. I think it's just one of those things. Obviously, that's just like their a, family might be there. Your family's of there, of course. And that so that was it. And you know, it was. You know, it was, it was it was great. It was fantastic. So just just we'll, we'll go through your the rest of your fights then. Um, so after Keith McCabe, yeah. So the next one was against Daniel Lenachek, and that's why I, I kind of adopted this persona, the face of Bama. I yeah, christened yeah. myself the face of Bama. I, think I met you around that time. Yeah, yeah. I christened myself the face of Bama because, like I said, I was in my thirties. I wasn't didn't want the queue. I wanted to see how far I could go, and I was having the crack. And so I got another fight for February and I started calling myself the face of Bam. And now bear in mind, I'd only had one fight. And this kind of sent, ruff this ruffled a lot of feathers. They were there like, who is this fella who's only got one fight? And I went over to Birmingham. I was got called over to Birmingham to win another Bama fight. And I jumped into the cage. There was a world title fight going on with, between Terry Brazier and Walter Gahadza. And I jumped into the cage and everyone was there like, there was, they weren't really talking about the winner of the fight. They were talking about this SBG upstart who had just walked into a cage and said, "Where's my title shot?" Like, and that kind of all. And that was deliberate, was by design, you know, um, to ruffle as many feathers as I could to get people talking about me. So that then I got a fight with Daniel Lenn, a guy called Daniel Lennachek, a really nice guy, um, but I roasted him. I, you know, I was. I was as arrogant as they came and I was as cocky as they came and, you know, I was pretending I couldn't pronounce his name and yeah, um, I remember, all that type yeah. of stuff. And, I, you know, now I never personalised it. I never got, like, personal. I just, um, but it was all part of the, it all goes, like, fighting is entertainment as well. Like, and, you know, because I knew loads of people who had 20 odd fights and hadn't. Yeah, you know, there was no name. It wouldn't have a name. <clears> yeah, so, and, get you, yeah. So I just had to, had fun with it, and you know that that kind of grew legs, and it was brought into like the radio stations and the, the what have you, and the fight became the people's main event. Everyone was talking about this fight, and um, so that fight that fight happened, and um, you know I had a very good knockout on that one as well. Um, 
and the roof lifted on that because it was such a highly anticipated fight, the level of animosity between or perceived animosity. I didn't have anything against. So I actually thought Daniel was a really nice guy, but obviously I couldn't show that in the uh you know, in the build up and I know he had and probably justifiably so had a level of animosity towards me because it was after roasting him and what have you and because he was such a nice guy he was there like why are you being an arsehole yeah and i was there oh sorry dude. <laughs> yeah um, you know and I, I had a really good knockout on that um and the place lifted and i was there i remember dave coming in and goes i think there's something special after happening here and then so that was that was that and then you know, two fights that there was only two fights into my professional um, MMA career, and then I got called out by the by the world champion um, in Alex Lahore. And uh, I remember that guy Lahore. Yeah. yeah, Lahore, Alex Lahore. He got called out, but he was out there winning his world title, and he called me out. He was there. This is an Irish kid making noise, and I was there. He's talking about me. That's when you know you're doing something right, though. Well, after two fights, it's, not, it's been unheard. Like two professional fights, have been unheard of calling yeah. for a world world title. You know, like like Connor hadn't done it. There was nobody that had done it. You know, so it was just booze being generated, and you know, and it was it was mad. It was surreal. Um, and you know that the, so the Alex Lahore fight was next. That was for the world title. That was a main event in the Tree Arena. The huge buzz. We were in RTE and Nicky Bourne show, and uh, you know that nearly we nearly came to blows. I antagonised him so much. The two of us nearly went head to head. I the remember middle. the build, but it was intense. Yeah, the, yeah, and I was in his head, and you know, and in fairness to him, he was unfazed. You know, but I know he was unfazed, and but a couple of weeks out from the fight, doing it in a shark tank, I got my foot through a kick, got my foot caught in a mat, and the, the ACL popped. And I was supposed to get surgery, and I went into the fight with two bands in it, to, uh, so we wouldn't know which one as well, because the stability was gone. And uh, I believe to this day that he knew about it, because the first thing he did was he went out and he caught that leg on the volley, and then he went for a knee bar, and he wouldn't have been known for that, you know. But I hit him with a jab, and I, I rocked him, and nearly, I could see the, the, the fear, and he just closed the distance. He would have been known as a striker, you know. Um, but he just closed the distance straight away and he went straight for the knee bar and uh, you know I lost the fight um, I had to get surgery in the ACL I thought that was my MMA career done um, you know I was there three fights and fought for a world title main event and like that's probably the end of it now I'm mid 30s and then I got a call from Bellator saying what would it take me to get me back into um, MMA and I was there well it needs to be a meaningful fight what have you and they just said money and I was like well that's great okay so that's what happened when Bellator saw me and I had a fight against uh, Mikhail Boucher and it's where the famous pink hot pants made an appearance and I had a very good knockout on that a decisive knockout and I just kind of kissing the camera and all kissed the camera yeah just kind of took off there as well and the next thing I know um, I'm fighting the biggest name and one of the biggest names in world MMA and Michael Venipage um Cause I was after roasting him. I was after roasting his. You were roasting everyone. Well, everyone was point. getting. Everyone was getting it. You know, it was, at one stage, I wanted to punch the head off myself. <laughs> it, was, it was that irritating. <laughs> and that the MVP fight, I suppose, is the is what most what, people will know. you you would have been on the buses in that at that stage, weren't you? Yeah, I was on the side of buses. I was on billboards in town, and you know, it was mad. It was, yeah. it was great. From great where you went to get to that was, was unbelievable, though. And such a quick trajectory. Like, in five five fights, at that stage I had, sorry, I had four fights at that stage. 
Yeah, that would have been your fifth that you were going into. Yeah. yeah, so MVP fight was the fifth, but a four fight side, you know, it had three really, really um, good knockouts. I had fought for a world title. I had main event at the Tree Arena, um, and that was all in four fights. And then, I'd, and then I'd, you know, for the, one of the biggest show, the biggest European promotion, Bama, I was signed to Bellator, one of the, the you know, the, one of the two biggest promotions in the world. It was, you know, it's all in four fights, you know, so it was a thing. And then, like I said, the, the MVP fight came along, and that was a, you know, that was, I suppose. That was a much different experience in terms of him. So I suppose eight weeks out from the fight, I got spiked in my head by uh, Johnny Walker, the UFC, uh, UFC light heavyweight. Only fought recently there. Yeah, yeah no, you no. know, he's, like, Johnny Walker's a specimen. Like he's about six foot. He's six foot six, and uh, he walks around about in pounds. We would be pushing two fifty, I'd say. You know, like he used to fight. Like he'd fight heavyweight yeah, at some stage. Boy, yeah. Like he'd be a big heavyweight. So he spiked my neck and had a really bad neck injury. It herniated a disc, but it impinged on what's called the brachial plexus nerves and cut off all the power into my arm. And it's just about uh, 10 weeks out from the fight. And so that happened on a Thursday and they wanted to operate on my, uh, my neck on the Tuesday. And I was there. I can't. I said, I have this fight coming up. It's the biggest fight of my career. And, you know, the, both in terms of profile and in terms of uh, monetarily. And they were just like, you, you can't fight. Like, you can, first of all, you're not going to be able to train. Like the... the the specialist, the consultant specialist said, here's what's going to happen. First of all, you won't be able to train. You'll be in too much pain. Second of all, you're going to risk, you might, you're at risk of losing permanent feeling in your arm. And thirdly, you're going to get, the likelihood is you're going to get um, a debilitating injury in that fight because you're not able to, you're not in any capacity able, able to do it. And I remember my mom was there and she was there, you can't do this fight. And I was there, I asked her to leave and I asked, I told the doctor, I said, look, I have to fight. That's the money probably too good. And he was just there, like I just remember looking at me incredulously. And uh, there was a couple of factors here. Yeah, the money was, you know, it would create the opportunity. I wanted to get a house, I have a little boy, and I wanted to get a house for me and my yeah. son. And you know, did it, like, everyone is familiar with the housing market now, and being able to get a house on your own in this um, in this market is almost unheard of unless you're ever you're in a very very small um, subsect of uh, uh, of people, you know. And so I went in and did the fight anyway, and I was antagonizing him. I was in his head, and the build-up was mad. And and I went into the fight, and I remember the the specialist who was actually there, who was actually doing my neck, was at the fight, and he had said to me, "You should at the fight," and he said to me, "He was there. This is probably one of the bravest things I've ever seen done." And he goes, "If you pull this off, he goes, I don't think this, but there'll be anything like it." Now we didn't pull it off. I got an absolute hiding, but. Uh, I went in and I remember trying to throw the arm and it was just floppy and he, you know, he was acting as he does and I just gave him the middle finger. I was there like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon when I was there, but like, fuck you. And I just said, I'll go out my shield and that's what happened. You know, and, uh, but I take a huge amount from that fight. Like in terms of the, like, like people say, oh, you got, bashed them what have you and I said I did a lot of, and I did that was the re that's the reality of the fight but a lot of people didn't see the lead up to that fight the the amount of pain you know not being able to train the weight cut I had to drop 10 kilos in 36 hours to just just to get in and make the fight yeah. you know knowing then that you're going to go in and get knocked out um, so it took a huge amount of courage to do it you know and this fella this like MVP had just crushed another man's school 
two fights that you had a decompressed in, a, in the fight, a decompressed scratch fracture in the school against a, a guy called Soy, Soyberg Santos. So you're seeing this going in, and then knowing that I would be going in debilitated and severely compromised, not being able to. The only thing I had that I felt I was able to catch him with was a left hook. But even at that, like, you know, he's, he's so long and what have you, unless you get yeah, the ability to move, you know, um, and that was, that's what happened. And that was the, uh, that's what happened. But like I said, it taught me a lot about myself. It taught me a lot about my character, which I feel is more, much more important than any, uh, than any fights. Like the fights were fun and what have you, you know, and, but that taught me a lot about myself as a person, the type of character I was and the type of, the fact that I could tackle adversity, you know, and that, you know, that like even the weight cut, like dropping 10 kilos, that's 10 litres of water. Um, 10 litres of water, or where is it? Your feet. On the feet. That's 20 of them for my body. Like 20 of them, yeah. imagine taking, like feel the weight of that. Like it's 20 of them that you were taking out of your body in 36 hours. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, it takes a lot of, it took a lot. To do it, and after I was there, like I didn't give a shit about the like people. Like you have people going, "Oh, what happened to the MVP fight?" Not really wanting to know what happened to the MVP. They just wanted you to say you got bashed, whatever. Yeah, and that's fine. MMA fans are fickle, and I made a career of you know being antagonistic. So you know, you take the roof of the smooth. Yeah, no yeah, problem. you have to. Yeah, yeah, you have to take you have to take the stick. You know, and you know, I gave people the stick to beat me with, but I didn't care. And the outcome was that you know I have a, have a lovely home now for myself. Nice car too. My son, I have a nice car. I didn't want to say, this, but I got I was able to get myself a nice car. Um, so I'm in a very fortunate circumstance. It's very very fortunate circumstances. You know, the I don't feel like I acquitted myself as I could have. But the flip side of that is, you know, the ego is a the ego is a is a dangerous thing, you know. And like, if I had won that, would my ego? We've like we've seen examples of people's egos getting a, getting away from themselves. I don't, I'd like to think that it wouldn't be that, but who knows? Yeah. Um, so so, what is it next? Are, are you going to get back into fighting? Have you had enough? I mean, you, you know, like as you said, you know, you have your house, you have your car now. But a lot of the reason why people get into this is for the money aspect, so they can have these things and then walk away. Other people say people are mad because they don't want to walk away from it. So what? Where are you at with that? Well, I think you're mad if you're doing if you do MMA professionally. I think you're mad anyway because it's an inherent dysfunction that anyone wants to get in in a pair of hot pants and then you know either punch the head off someone or get the head punched off them and then go and do it again. So if you do MMA in professionally, I think you're mad. But look, martial arts in my blood. You know, it's part of it's part of who I am. It's developed me as a person. It's developed me as a character. It's helped me get. To, you know, it's helped me have fantastic experiences. Um. So, I don't know. I'm moving physically. I feel great. I'm moving better than I ever have. And you know, you know, I'm I'm fighting. I'm sparring, elite guys. I'm really enjoying that. There's a lot of noise and there's a lot of stuff that goes with fighting professionally and stuff like that. That I've kind of outgrown. For want of a better word, you know. Yeah. Um, well, that might be from your your growth as in lockdown. Yeah, well. yeah, it's it's yeah, it is. Like, and I've kind of I've kind of outgrown a lot of a, a lot of that, you know. So I might go back. I feel like I, it's 
like I said, physically I, I feel great and I'm really enjoying training at the moment. It's whether I still have the hunger to do it because I want to progress in other areas, other aspects of my life, um, you know, professionally. And, you know, I have a career at the moment and I want to progress with that also. Um, so I don't know is the, is, is the answer. I don't know. I'm not done with martial arts by any stretch. Um, and I feel that there's still there's something there for me to achieve competitively. I don't know what that is yet, what I want to do yet. So I don't know is the, is the, is the short answer. And that's a bit of a bit of a bit of soul search and figuring out to do there. In mm. that, in that regard. Could have opportunities though, like as in different routes that you you can choose rather than. I look, I, I've said it. I'm very very lucky. I'm, you know, the point one of one percent that has actually you know had you know some relative financial success from MMA so I'm lucky in that regard um, most people do it you know when they don't make much money of it or what have you, you know and I'm not saying oh, geez, I'm not a millionaire and didn't like it or I didn't make anything like that but I made enough to to get something from it you know apart from just the memories and stuff like that which were also equally as brilliant you know but um, so I'm lucky I'm very, very lucky, and I, I'm, I'm well aware of how lucky I am that I have got the opportunities outside of MMA now in terms of education or my career to progress with that. Like, once MMA stops, that I'm future-proof to an extent, or I'm in the process of future-proofing myself, you know, and life doesn't stop because my, like, cause competition has stopped. And a lot of people like that, you will, you will have probably have spoken with footballers who have had difficulties, you know, once their career stops, they've, yeah. they've, they're lost, and what do I do now, and their self-worth is impacted, and what have you. I don't have that, you know, I have my son there, I have like a, my son, I have, you know, opportunities outside in terms of, you know, through education and, you know, my, my career. So. You could probably coach as well if you wanted. I can that? coach as well. There's a couple of, there's a couple of things that I might be working, that, I, that I'm, I'm currently working on, that, that opportunities that might be, that might present themselves in the near future that uh, I'm excited about. Brilliant. Um, so look, it's, so up to date, it's been a great story and the story's far from over, you know, and, yeah. you know, and I'm very happy. Yeah, well, it's great to see you, Ian, and uh, in the flesh again because I haven't seen you. I think the last time I saw you, we were we were out in a night out somewhere in town. I probably dribbling your shoes locked. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was. Yeah, to be fair, but listen, it's been a brilliant story, and um, I'm delighted that I got you in as the first guest because you you are a really good talker, and that's exactly what we want on this podcast is someone coming in and, and telling a story in a very good way. So I just want to say, um, I didn't actually know a whole lot about your, your full story. So just to kind of see where you came from to where you ended up in terms of the, the main events and stuff. It's actually amazing to see and I'm delighted that everything's going well for you in terms of your personal life and your, your family, home and stuff like that with you and your son. So congratulations. Cheers, well thanks winning. I'm looking forward to seeing how this, this like, like all your ventures, this going strength to strength and no doubt it will, you know. Well, let's hope so, let's hope so. Well, uh, listen, uh, let us know your thoughts anyway on uh, Richie's story in the comments. Um, don't forget to like the video if you're watching on YouTube and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on podcast, do the uh, like and rate. Um, I'm not, I'm new to the podcast thing, so I don't know how that works, but I'll figure it out. Just whatever it does to give it a thumbs up. Yeah. It. Share, yeah. like, share, subscribe. And you're not on social media anymore, are you? I, well, I just took a break from, like I said, with, ah, with the thing. I just took a break your thing coming up. Yeah, but I'm, I'm back, I'm back now, back now, temporarily. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, so what is that, at Richard Coyley MMA? Yeah, at Richard Coyley MMA, yeah, on, on uh, Instagram. And okay, well, listen, thanks again. And uh, guys, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks for watching.